Welcome to Headlines. This is Ari Wasserman sitting in for David Lechtenstein. Today we are going to be talking about what makes for effective dating. How can somebody date effectively? We have a number of fascinating halachic and ashkafic questions as follows. Is it okay to date two women at the same time or for a woman to date two young men at the same time? Is there a duty to disclose? Maybe we have a Ganevis Das problem. Certainly if the Minag Minag of the uh, Medina is to not date more than one and somebody is dating two, would that be problematic? Is it a good idea? Does it lend to more effective and efficient dating if you are going through two, three at the same time. And in addition, are there ways to test? Is it proper to test your dates midos to make sure that this is somebody who really has good midos? And more generally, what should be the goal of dating? What's the most important thing to look for? Is love a necessary component in order to get engaged and get to get married? How about use of not? We'll talk about pictures that's been talked about before, but how about a photo album or a catalog? If a young lady wants to see a catalog of men and uh, there are many pictures of them and descriptions of them, or a man, a young man wants to see a catalog of women and these indeed do exist, is that an effective way to date? Is that a wise way to date by choosing I'd like to date A and B but not C? I'd like to date number one and number three or number eight or number seven and maybe you want to prioritize. Maybe I'll go out in this order, is that a wise thing to do? What are the current trends in dating? What types of single events are being held? What are the halachic and ashkafic issues involved? And are friends helpful or hurtful in getting dating advice? We will be talking with a number of experts, post-scheme and the like on this show. We are going to start out talking with Rabbi Dr. Yitzchak Breidewitz, the renowned posek, the senior lecturer at Yeshivas or Sameach, Talking about a number of halachic issues as it relates to effective dating. Then we will speak with Rabbi Moshe Hauer, the renowned Rav, the executive vice president of the Orthodox Union, who has written extensively on our topic. Then we will speak with Mrs. Khani Juravel, the popular lecturer and therapist, so much experience in this and so many other areas. And then we will speak with Dr. Avi Mushel, a clinical psychologist. He actually specializes in relationship issues is a very interesting conversation and then we will culminate with the show with Micah Friedland he is a shadchan and an unofficial dating coach who really has the pulse, his finger on the pulse of what is currently going on in the uh, dating arena just uh, an interesting point that maybe we'll um, get into this in the show it seems that we may have uh, an issue nowadays of too many choices. There is a concept of choice overload. There are other ways that it's called. Sometimes it's referred to as over choice or choice paralysis, which is uh, when you have too many things to choose from, people become overwhelmed and it makes it difficult to make a decision. So it could be very well that when people are going on singles events or they have a catalog, an album, or they're getting too many resumes, it could be that this may slow down the process. Maybe that is not an effective way of dating, dating multiple people at the same time, or maybe it is a easier way to compare A to B, but it makes it like going to an eye doctor, going to the optometrist, A or B, which is better, B or C, until you narrow it down, uh, that is effective for choosing glasses, maybe not so effective in 
dating. That is indeed something that we will be talking about on this show. Now, I just do, before we go forward, want to hear an interesting clip from Rabbi Avigdor Miller, which would lend in favor of our understanding that nowadays maybe we have too many choices, which is causing paralysis in our deciding, because Rabbi Avigdor Miller really, based on this clip, would not be in favor of having so many options like we've been talking about with the catalogs and all of the like. Here we go, Rabbi by a Victor Miller. How do one realize when he comes across the right shida? And the answer is he'll never realize because there is no right shida. There are thousands right shidduchim. If you are rich enough and Rabbi Negeshin wasn't born yet, you could marry a thousand women, Alpitaya, as long as you could support all of them. And nothing would be wrong. You could be madly in love with every one of them. And it's not silly at all. Why shouldn't it be? But since you can only choose one, so there's no such thing as the right one. You can say, when can I know? I met one of the right ones. I already told you when I answered the first question. It's always delightful to hear the insights that Rabbi Miller has. I do want to mention that this clip was played with permission from Simchas Hachaim.org. If anyone's interested in hearing additional audios from Rabbi Miller, please contact them on that website. There is also a phone number that you can contact. Now, obviously, what Rabbi Miller was talking about is very relevant for our topic. Do we have too many decisions nowadays? Are we overanalyzing? Is that leading to uh, paralysis and deciding on who to marry? Obviously, a very important topic that we will be speaking with our guests on today's show. So indeed, that uh, gives us a lot to think about, and indeed, this will be a running concept as we go through the show. What is effective and what is not effective? Are we being too picky nowadays, or are we just making better decisions nowadays? Something indeed that we will hopefully hash out as we speak with our guests on today's show. Before we do that, uh, just a quick vort on partial. We see a Kosuk, it's not only in this week's Parsha, Parsha's Vayaka, but also Parsha's Truman, talking about the Kruvim, the Pasuk says that the Kruvim would face one to another. So the two Kruvim that were on top of the Aaron Kodesh, it says in the Pasuk, each was facing the other, two Kruvim, pointing one another, pointing to each other the issue. And this is pointed out by the Gemara and Baba Basra, is that there seems to be a conflicting Pasuk in Divrei Ayamim. So in Divrei Ayamim it says, is that there their faces were pointed towards the bias, the base of Mikdash, the Bishkan, but the key here is that it wasn't that they were pointing at each other, but they were pointing elsewhere. And the question is, isn't this a stira? Isn't this a conflict? On the one hand, in our Parshius, it says they were pointing to one another, and Ivrayoyamim, it says they were pointing elsewhere to the Mayas. And the Gemara and Baba Basra reconciles it that it depends. One is at a time that they're doing Ritzono Shalmakam, when we are doing the desires of a Kodesh Baruch Hu, and one is when we are not doing Ritzono Shalmakam, in which is which. So it goes as follows. They are pointing at each other when we are doing the Ratzon Shalmakam, when we are doing the desires of a Kodesh Baruch but when we are not doing the desires of a Kaddish Baruch Hu, they are not pointing to each other, but rather pointing to the bias. They are pointing elsewhere. What is going on here? What is the Ratzon Hamakam? What's not the Ratzon Hamakam? When are they pointing at each other? When they are not pointing at each other? So the Pardis Yosef effectively says as follows. When people are concerned about each other, 
I am concerned about your tsuris. I'm concerned about your needs. We have Jews looking at each other. I'm looking at you. I'm focused on you. I'm focused on your needs. I care about you. I'm worried about you. That is doing the Ratzon Shalmakam. When people are not focused on the others, but they're focused on their se- themselves. When they're focused on their bias, on their own houses, their own needs, their own assets, their own cars, their own desires. But not that on others. They're not looking at others, but looking at their bias. They're looking elsewhere, but not at another other Jew that is not doing the Ratzon Shel Makam. And indeed, that is something that we're going to have to talk about on the show. How do you find that person that you want to marry through effective dating to know that that person will be looking for my needs and I'll be looking for that person's needs and not looking at their own personal needs? That we should do the Ratzon and Makam like the Kruving, looking at each other, but not looking for my own needs, not looking elsewhere. And uh, even to build on that even more, the Bardis Yosef concludes, he continues on, the, on this point, he says, if you look at the Tsuras of the Kruvim, the Gam Tsuras Kruvim yelled Vialda. They were in the forms, these two Kruvim, of a young boy and a young girl. And I think building on that as well, we're looking at this couple together. How can we ensure that we're going to find the right person to do the Ruts on a Makam that will each focus on one another and not be focusing on our own individual needs? Having said all of that... Before we go to our guests, let's simply hear the riddle of the week. So in Parshas Vayakel, we are talking about the building of the Mishkan. And it says in that context, however... Although the building of the Mishkan is a very important mitzvah, but don't do it on Shabbos. It doesn't say that explicitly, but we talk about Shabbos. Shabbos, six days you should work, seventh day is Kodesh. So uh, the implication here is that uh, build the Mishkan, but don't build it on Shabbos. And in that context, it flags one specific Isra, one of the malachas, one of the lamites malachas, don't kindle a fire on Shabbos. And the riddle is as follows. Why are we singling out specifically don't kindle fire on Shabbos? And what I'm looking for, not only that, there could be many answers to that. Why are we specifically flagging don't kindle a fire on Shabbos? I'm looking for some connection to Bria Sa'olam, some connection to the creation of the world. That's the hint for the riddle of the week. If you want to leave a message by phone or dial in by phone to listen, in America, our number is 732-806-8700. In England, it's 44, like that's the country code, 33011-70250. In Eretz Yisrael, it's 02-372-0304. And now let's go to our wonderful guests. Joining us now is Rabbi Yitzhak Breidowitz. Rabbi Breidowitz is a renowned poseg. He is also the Rav of Kilas or Sameach, and he lectures widely in Israel and worldwide. Rabbi Breidowitz, thank you so much for joining us. 
Anwar Bari, it's always a pleasure and an honor. I got to say, it's my pleasure and my honor. I always enjoy speaking with you on and offline. So, Rabbi Brian, I have a question that's uh, really on my mind. I recently heard that in certain places, certain geographies, and in certain segments of from society, people are dating multiple of the opposite gender at a time. For example, you may have a young man who is dating two young ladies at the same time, or a young lady who is uh, dating two men at the same time. And the question is, uh, is there a duty to disclose with uh, the person who is is dating too, would that person have to disclose to each of the others that I am dating uh, more than one at the same time? Is there a duty to disclose? And I guess uh, a sub-question to that is, would you defer to the minhagamakam? And only if it's against the minhagamakam, then you would have to disclose. But if it's in accordance with what is commonly done uh, with the people that you associate, maybe there's no uh, obligation to disclose. So I'd really love to get your take on, on this situation. Yeah, well, there are really two separate issues, I think, about this practice. One would be the issue of Pinebastas, that is uh, creating a false impression, even if you didn't explicitly lie. And there are Shiyuvim in Halakha to prevent somebody from being deceived by a non-disclosure. As we don't say, there's applications of disclosure. So uh, one could argue that there's a Pinebastas issue. On the other hand, when the minog is understood that people are doing this, so one can then assume that the other party would be on a, what you might call constructive notice, to use a legal term. So in many, many ways, the minakamakam is highly relevant on an issue of binegostas, because if it's something that people know is going on, then there's no duty to be explicit about it. You know? so, so in a way, as the practices change in different localities, the duty of disclosure is going to change as well. Now, I'm not familiar with your statement that in America it's now a common situation. I don't know. Uh, but if that is the case, that would directly impact on disclosure vis-a-vis uh, -vis U.S. not having to say it, but Mashenke in Eric Israel, where it's Loma Kubal, I think there would be a duty to, to disclose it. Now, there is a second issue, which is not a halachic issue per se, but I think there is a serious hashgothic issue I remember that uh, dating in, in a halachic community is not a matter of having fun or a matter of recreational dating. It's to assess whether somebody is the right person with whom you're going to make a shidduch that hopefully will be for the rest of your life. And that requires a great deal of focus, a great deal of introspection, a great deal of communication. I think one can reasonably question whether uh, you can be involved with more than one person at a time and be able to have the COVID rush and the seriousness to be able to assess suitability for marriage. That is precisely, I'm assuming, why it is not Soma Kubal in marriage Israel. Uh, and that's, you know, that's a question. Right? So I, if you're asking me, Halakhically, is it forbidden to date uh, more than one person? I cannot state, other than Geneva Stas, I cannot state a halakhic prohibition. But I do question whether it's the optimal vehicle to make decisions of such magnitude, which will hopefully, you know, be a lifetime, lifetime decision. So it's more of a hashkothic concern that I have with that particular Issue. Yeah, I, I don't think it's common in the United States. I think in certain areas, it's becoming common. I, I don't think it's a, a widespread practice, certainly not in the yeshivish veld when people are younger and started it's starting to date through Shadchanim. I don't think there is common, but when people get a little... Now, listen, I, I understand I understand logistically. I mean, if someone has to uh, fly uh, from the uh, West Coast to the East Coast, 
<laughs> I mean, just like you would say, I'm going to go to a lot of stores when I'm there. I understand the Yetzirah to kind of get as many dates as you can. But in terms of Shidduchim, it doesn't really make a lot of sense on an emotional on an emotional level. Right. I mean, it's a it's a practical issue if you're flying in and uh, you live out of town and uh, all the people who are dating are in Lakewood and you want to amortize that $400 ticket that you climb in over four different dates or different uh, men or women that you're dating and it becomes $100 per as opposed to $400 for one and you save a lot of time. So, uh, but maybe I, I mean, I do understand the pressures here. Uh, again, perhaps with the advent of Zoom dating, Perhaps that could be ameliorated a little bit. No, I, I certainly that's not the, still not the same as the face. So, so bottom line is, depending if it's something that is not mukubal, then we would have a Ganevis das issue, I which indeed it. is a likely. It could be an iser doraisa, could be the rabbanon, depending if it has financial uh, consequences or not. And uh, other than that, it's the focus and uh, yeshuva das and shikola das necessary for dating, which certainly this makes you feel like you're in an op optometrist's office saying A or B, which way do you see better, B or C? And uh, that's okay for choosing glasses, but maybe not. That's not quite what. It drives me crazy with glasses too. So I imagine it would be even more tough. It all looks the same with the glasses, right? Um, so n next question. Uh, you know, they say that uh, dating coaches and advisors and the like say you have to date in different situations so you can really get a sense of the individual that you're dating. You want to make sure that the person has proper midos and if you're just sitting in a hotel lobby and uh, going to a coffee shop uh, you're really not getting a true sense of the individual that you're considering marrying so they say maybe go to uh, different environments and even stressful environments uh, in Israel we joke that maybe you should go to a certain stores that have thousands of people shopping at a time and uh, a little bit pushing to get online and the like so you see how that person acts in a stressful environment is there a per problem halachically testing somebody's midos, uh, putting them in a situation they may get angry or something like that in the dating context? I remember seeing a tshuva once by uh, Rav Yitzhak Zilberstein that somebody was concerned that his cleaning lady was stealing and he wanted to leave money there with the camera. The, you know, the camera was uh, shooting it to see if the, the money disappeared. And uh, there was a question of, of leaf naive or maybe it's a little bit different stealing as opposed to... Uh, as opposed to seeing the midos of an individual. So what would be your take on uh, putting somebody into stressful environments like that to uh, see the, the midos and what happens with that individual? You know, I, I, I have a, a friend who's a bit older than me. Uh, when he was going out, he wanted to test how his wife, how his future wife might react to stressful situations. So he would go through red lights. He would actually do things that were somewhat dangerous uh, to see if she would go crazy or get nervous or frightened or whatever it would be. Now, I absolutely don't advocate putting anybody in Sarkana. That's a totally different different Parsha, but he certainly was testing. Now, uh, with three, let me just go back to the example you gave about trying to detect theft by planting money and whether that's a lifne either. Um, I, I did see a shot from Rebel Yasha who actually specifically permitted uh, those types of situations. Uh, because he said this is the way of apprehending a criminal who's likely to steal anyway. And consequently, even though you're putting in the money, you're in no way encouraging him to steal. Uh, you're doing a neutral thing, putting money in a motto. That's not giving yayin to a nazir. 
You're not handing it, certainly not handing it over the river. Yeah, that's right. You're not handing it over to him, you know, and uh, you're doing a full us after the fabric. So in terms of that, I think you would be allowed to do that. Uh, the question is, can you test a person? Now, I think, number one, there may be some Geneva styles here, perhaps, because um, you're trying to set up something as if this is a natural situation, when in fact, this is a manipulative situation. And uh, manipulating somebody might oofa itself be Geneva styles. And it may also be with naivir, because unlike the situation where all I do is put money in a drawer and I'm doing nothing to elicit a response of Geneva, that's the person's own decision. Here, I'm deliberately triggering somebody to kind of lose their temper or lose their cool. So I think there is both a Geneva Stas issue and uh, a, a Lipnaiver possibility of Lipnaiver. I think it's more problematical than the you know passive activity of just putting money in a, in a, in a place. On the other hand, I also agree that looking for Midos is a very, very, very important part of the show. Uh, you want to see all the personal reaction to different circumstances. So all I can say is I, I don't think uh, you should do it by deliberate manipulation. I think you do it by exposing the person to different situations where these things naturally occur. So, you know, you go to a restaurant and you see how the other person behaves towards the uh, help of the waiters, the waitresses. Are they impatient if the food is not perfect? In other words, you have to notice things, but I don't think you need to manipulate by, by artificial uh, to cause things to go bad in order to see how they're behaving. I think that, that's dishonest. I think there is a Geneva Stas element as well as a Lifne Ebra because you're doing something deliberately to be provoking. Uh, so I know that maybe you're not going to get the same information you can get the other way, but I think you can get quite a lot. You can notice how people behave uh, towards uh, the janitors, the cleaning staff, uh, how fussy they are if the food is not perfect, right? If they're constantly sending things back, for example, mm -hmm. maybe it's a little bit mufunat. And you do what you can. And, and then I, I do very much agree that um, taking your date to a variety of different environments is actually a very helpful and useful thing to do. Right. So as, as we're talking about effective dating, because that's our topic, so uh, one possibility to get to know them and maybe see them in an unusual situation or maybe a stressful situation is what they call the escape room. Personally, I've never been in it, but it's, it's a situation that you're locked in and you have to figure out, I guess, puzzles or something like that, how to get out. And that could be stressful and fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah the escape room. Yes, yes, yes. So the question is that that would be a good option, apparently, but we, now we have a question of Yichud and uh, you know, people could be watching over the camera in in the roof, but maybe we have a similar but less serious shaila of when you're in an elevator and there's a camera and it's you know for extended amount of time. But that's going to end fairly quickly. The escape room you may there for be there for quite a while. So when it comes to a yichud situation, would that be problematic? Do you have to rely? Does it matter if you're in Israel and maybe Jews watching as opposed to outside of Israel that it's maybe non-Jews watching? Are they really watching? Are they not really watching? So what would you say on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, you're 100% correct. Uh, the escape room, uh, I'm assuring there's only two people in the room, is 100% potentially a very serious problem. On the other hand, it is also very clear that these rooms are monitored. Uh, they are monitored primarily for legal liability. The last thing that the, the owners of these things want is 
to be sued if somebody suffocates or, or, or whatever it is or gets a heart attack. So I, I believe there's almost probably almost constant surveillance. So then you get into the general Shiloh that this would be equivalent to a Hawaii, uh, which, which many say a big, big window would qualify as a Pesach Hosua, because even though nobody's going to enter, per se, but uh, it's very, very, the activity is very, very visible. So there are makhlokim. There is, there is a makhlokim to be mashmeh, but I think there's also a makhlokim to be bagel. And, uh, you know, I, I think Yechlehem al uh, in that type of, type of circumstance. Uh, that's an environment, I think, in which there is meticulous uh, supervision, meaning people are watching. People are not just uh, ignoring what's going on because they need to be sure that everybody's okay. And that could be regardless of who's watching, if it's a uh, non-Jew watching, if it's... Uh... Yeah, I, I think in, in this case, yes, because uh, once again, it's not because of any type of morality, but I think that there's a great, great fear of legal liability. For example, there would be a rape or there'd be something, you know, I think they would come in and they would stop and not because they care about, as they say, about the, the morality of it, but there's a lot of potential for lawsuits, these type of situations. And I, I think that creates a mere sus, uh, which would negate the problems. Of the right. Okay. Other events like uh, speed dating or something like that. I'm really not familiar with the latest, but I know there is, they come in all varieties. Are there gedarim, putting aside yichud, assuming you don't have a yichud problem, but propriety, I guess maybe this is more of a hashkafic issue, but maybe there may be halachic issues as well as to what would be proper gedarim for each singles events. You know, it, it, it's hard to say. You know, I, I heard something a few years ago in the name of Rashul Kamenetsky. I, I don't want to say that he said I can't say 100%, but I'll say I heard it for shame, Rivshmo that he was actually in favor of Hasanets of having mixed tables of singles, men and women sitting together, because he felt it was a kosher, a relatively kosher environment in which people could meet each other. And he thought, in light of the Shidduch crisis that we have in Kuala Israel, I know that also is a controversy, it would be appropriate to have some environment where men and women, boys and girls, could meet each other. Uh, now, that's a pretty, that's a fairly radical, at least from the Haredi world, that's a fairly radical perspective. Um, I think it does make sense. And again, I, I don't want to absolutely say it's from another guttle, because if I'm wrong, I'm, I'm, I'm saying something maybe uh, denigrating to his public, but uh, this is what I heard. Maybe you've heard it, I heard it as well. And which means, in a sense, I mean, it's hard to, to describe this. Although we can't compromise our tzniyas, and we can't compromise our halacha, and we have to observe appropriate boundaries. But in a shasat hot, we, 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 you know, we broaden the bound, or at least we approach the line a little bit further than maybe we've done in the past, simply because the need of marriage in Kuala Yisrael is such an important and fundamental need. So I think speed dating, in a sense, is one of those... I hate to use the word compromise, people will get the wrong idea, but it's one of those ideas that I think can have a certain amount of validity. Because, you know, after all, Shiduchim uh, costs a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of expense, and speed dating is a way that people can at least make preliminary judgments. Is this a, a possible Shiduch or not? Meaning, you know, they kind of decide. Now, obviously, the judgments might be wrong. You, you, you talk to somebody for five minutes, ten minutes, you know, that may be the person you will marry, even if you reject them at that at that 
in the point. But at least it's some way that a person can make a chesh. If I'm a person and I'm offered like 20 people to, to meet, or the other person is offered 20 people to meet, this is at least a way in which you can weed things out. So I think uh, provided there's sneas, of course, and provided that the halachas of Yichud are properly observed, I think speed dating might be a, a legitimate way of of perhaps determining what is most probable, probably good, or what is not. Now, obviously, you understand that one of the things that speed dating is doing is it is factoring out the shatkan and allowing for direct connection between man and woman. Now, some people are going to say that goof is no good because all she built them should be arranged through intermediaries and not through direct contact. So that's why I did bring in Rav Shmuel's work, because Rav Shmuel basically seemed to acknowledge that there ought to be some avenues where the men and the women can directly interact, even if there's not shotgun involved. So based on that precedent, I think you could extend it to yeah, what, what what I have heard is is typically uh, these are going to be a little bit older that are going to these events. So you'd start with Shadchanim, and if it's not successful when younger, then it goes on to these more Shadchanim. Okay, well, that, that, that makes sense, meaning meaning the Halachatchelan of it, the other. Either we work with Shadchanim when people are older uh, and things are not working out in that way, we got to go to plan B because ultimately, we want to get them married. We want them to have Jewish homes. We want them to have a bias nema. If that requires direct connection, then then we'll go that way, provided that you're not compromising on sinias and yichut and uh, nigia, all those other halachas. Right. So, so we would compromise on on certain ashkafic issues, but non halachic issues. Yeah. Okay. So, so we, the the rav mentioned sinias before. So this is always a a uh, raging machlokis as to use of pictures. Can a uh, guy see pictures of girls in advance? Is that a lack of sneas or not? Now it's gotten to the level of not necessarily coming from the shadcham, from boys showing to other boys on their smartphones or whatever. It may be uh, pictures of a girl. I I went out with her. Maybe this is an option for you. Um, so is that a lack of sneas? Uh, maybe it's about pictures in general, but uh, when it gets a little bit more informal in the process, does that kind of lose the kadusha of uh, what should be when it comes to shidduchim? Well, well, again, uh, as we just said a, a moment ago, uh, when you have younger Bachrit who are dating and the process is going through shatchan, as it, as it should with chashila, as opposed to direct contact, I, I do think it's it's improper to circulate uh, pictures uh, for, for a lot of reasons. Uh, number one, um, a picture only shows schizoneus at the statue of Panemius, and uh, while looks do have a role in the Shidduch process, I don't know if we'll, we'll talk about that or not, uh, but nevertheless, uh, looks are very much affected by personality, by midos. The notion that beauty comes from within is a cliche, but it's a cliche that happens to be true. That's why it is a a cliche. So it's very, very, number one, unfair to judge a girl by a picture. And number two, uh, yeshiva boys, B'nai Taira, at least, should not be looking at pictures of girls. I mean, uh, it's true that when they meet somebody, they, they look in order to make decisions, but stam, it could be garim hirvorim, it could be garim, all sorts of takalos. So, ashkafically, I think uh, it is a very sad uh, 
you know, looking at Chitsinius as more important than it really is, and it represents maybe a superficiality in a process. Number two, I think it causes humiliation. Girl, you know, doesn't want uh, her picture to be circulated among every guy in the dormitory. Uh, it's a little bit of a bizarre to her. And uh, even if she doesn't know exactly where it's going, but if she's aware of such a thing, I think she's going to feel embarrassed. And uh, number three, it's not even a real judgment of, of how beautiful she is because you'll see it from the Midos and the like. You know, even when a person dates a girl and says afterwards, he's not attracted to her looks. Often a Rebbe or Rosh Hashiva or Shatran will say, see her one more time because maybe you get to know her more. Her looks will change on you. So how can you make a decision uh, based on looks under those circumstances? So I don't think uh, it's correct. Now, the issue that you might raise is, but if you're talking about an older person and already they're doing speed dating or whatever else, so you might ask me, Kasha, why is a picture different than speed dating? I mean, they're also, I'm doing a face-to-face. But still, I would answer even there, simply because with these face-to-face, you're giving her a chance to get to see her mythos and her personality. And the same thing if the girl doing it to the boy, it's the same thing as you. Right, so, that, so that was about to ask, if how about the uh, the women circulating pictures of, of the young men, of the of the boys? I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you the truth. I mean, it's virtually the identical analysis. Halachically, there's not a problem with his stockless, you know, yeah, yeah, that, that may be true for women to look at men's pictures. But in terms of the embarrassment and in terms of not giving the guy a chance to show his mythos and personality and in terms of looking at Hitzinius, those concerns are going to be identical on both sides of the equation. Very good. So, so just to recap, uh, what I'm hearing here is when it comes to the effectiveness of dating, efficiency of dating, especially when somebody gets a little bit older, there are certain areas that we can compromise, but certain areas that indeed we're not going to compromise. Certainly halakhic issues we're not going to compromise. Certain ashkafic issues we can compromise, but when it comes to sneers and especially embarrassment of somebody when it comes to the pictures, and there are times that there are even albums that are set up, it's uh, like uh, looking at a Costco album or something, that that would be way beyond the uh, the line. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that, that, that's a, a genuine humiliation. There are pictures of different women, I think, you talk about, and you know, you choose like a meat market or whatever it is. I mean, that, that's uh, that, that's a bizarre. Now, again, in some way, I, I don't want to seem like I'm contradicting myself, although maybe I am. In some ways, speed dating is exactly that situation. I understand the inconsistency a little bit, but the nafkamina is that the Holocaust, they get to see the whole person, which I don't see in an album. Right. Very good. Rabbi Breidowitz, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Always enjoyable and certainly educational speaking with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. you be Joining us now is Rabbi Moshe Hauer. Rabbi Hauer is the Executive Vice President of the Orthodox Union. Before that, he was a shul rav for many, many years, and he has a lot of experience in dealing with issues of dating and shiduchim, including having written extensively on this topic. Rabbi Hauer, thank you so much for joining us. It's a privilege. It's always good to be with you. Thank you so much. So, Rabbi Hauer, somebody is ready to start dating, and they come to you and say, Rabbi Hauer, what do I need to do to be prepared? Is it a mindset? Is it uh, buying nice clothing? What would you say the necessary preparations are to date effectively? It's a serious question. It's a good question. And uh, mentally, I think that we, we, we need to 
be able to see a level of maturity and understanding what's involved in entering into the relationship called marriage. Um, marriage is very exciting, and entering that stage for many people is just the excitement of moving on to, to something that perhaps they never had anything remotely resembling this experience before. They may, they may not have had any experience with anybody from the opposite gender. And in any case, you know, marriage is a uh, very celebrated, celebrated event and a celebrated process. And, um, and uh, we have to make sure that at the same time, of course, that excitement should all be there. The, the excitement and attraction around marriage, because I'll tell us that if that wasn't there, nobody would marry and build a home. They would be overwhelmed by the sense of burden and responsibility, then who, who would go for it? Uh, but there has to be, like in all things in life, there has to be the right balance, where of course there should be excitement, but the excitement shouldn't be separated from the sense of of responsibility. One of the metaphors which which I, I, I would would share in this context is that um, you know Nisuin Ravolba Ravolba said I, I included this in in in, uh, in something which you wrote once about the subject. But Nisuin literally it means the Hebrew word for marriage, but it also comes from the term to carry to carry. And the Revolva used to sell, tell Hassanem that the thing you have to focus on and have in mind as you're getting married is that you are undertaking to carry your spouse, to bear responsibility for your spouse, no matter what, for life. And that expression, no say, Nisuin, is famously found with regard to the Aron HaKodesh. And what do Chazal tell us about the Aron? They say the Aron is no say es nosov. It carries those who carry it, meaning it may appear like a burden, but it's the most uplifting burden in the world. Of course, Torah is an incredible responsibility, but when we experience it, we can experience it as, uh, you know, just a heavy responsibility. How hard it is. But a real engagement with Torah is a responsibility that's just the most uplifting, transformative experience in life to be able to carry that responsibility. And so Maybe don't teaching look at responsibility and teaching the joy of responsibility. So maybe don't look at it as no se be'olim chaveru as a burden, but as responsibility and knowing uh, that you have to be responsible to somebody else, but in, in a positive manner. In a positive manner and to understand that, that yeah, to understand that responsibility, that a life of commitment to another person is incredibly joyous, incredibly, incredibly uplifting, much more uplifting, you know, than the new suit and the excitement of the dating. It's, it's really, really uplifting, but there's a core which is that that's that life of responsibility, of loyalty, of commitment, of being there for somebody through thick and thin. And we need, we need to be able to see some level of readiness and maturity to live that kind of a loyal and committed life. Right. So w when somebody is getting into this and thinking uh, proactively, what's my goal of dating? Yeah, each person is going to have to think for, of it for themselves. But for example, the goal of dating is the concept when you're getting in that I want to get to know the other person, like approximately? Is it to get them, to get to know them extremely well? Is it to simply make sure there are no deal killers, but to have faith that everything will work out? So what's your advice? What's the goal of somebody when they are starting to date and going through the process? Okay, so this is a shift in the question, friends, from, from the dispatching the personal, personal readiness for the process of marriage to discuss the, the issue of of dating itself and how that works. So you know, this is a, a tricky matter, a, a, a significant matter, 
uh, one which uh, may, perhaps we may have once discussed in a different context. I don't, I don't, I don't recall clearly. It, it's very, very difficult to get to know somebody without living with that somebody, and um, to to go and to 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 take a leap of faith. Yeah. People could take a leap of faith, and they can. You know, speak at Sheva Brafas about uh, Shiva Shiva of like Kriyas Yamsuf and you know Nachshon Ben Aminadav had to hold his nose and jump in. Um, but um, many of us, and I would actually counsel p- people not to not to rely on faith where there's an element of personal possibility and personal responsibility that it's quote unquote Efshir Levuri, as we say in Halacha, where there's clarification to be had. One can't get to know somebody. Uh, through um, a uh, a dating process where people spend time and it's all people putting their best face forward. Uh, you can't marry somebody if you feel like the like you're still putting on a show, or you feel in some way like the other person is still putting on a show. the The other piece, which is which is which is incredibly important, is that while of course we will not live with somebody before we marry that somebody, but other people have lived with that somebody. They haven't lived with them as a spouse. They live with them as a sibling, as a roommate, as a classmate. They've been through life with them, a life which isn't scripted, a life which faces challenges as they come up. While a person may end up marrying somebody who was previously a stranger to them, it's incredibly important that they have an understanding that the person is a safe, loyal person, that the person that they're marrying has the qualities which are going to be the ultimate make-it-or-break-it qualities of a good marriage. And um, we won't be able to get that from calling a stranger and saying, could you tell me something about this person? person who doesn't know you, who may partially know them. Uh, I think it's really the, the, the best pathway for people is to do everything that they can to try to get a window into the basic character, not silly questions, but the core issues of basic character from somebody who really knows the other person and who cares about you and won't want to pull the wool over your eyes. You know, I, 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 you know, to say it briefly, what I would often advise people, parents or people themselves involved in Shaduchim is you have to find somebody who knows that person really well and who cares about you more than they care about them. Right. So for saying it that way. Yeah, that, that, that's a, a proper way to look at it, um, but but ultimately down the line, at a certain point, there's going to be have to have to be a leap of faith. At a certain point, you're going to have to That's, say it, 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 it's not such a leap of faith. I I I I'm not sure. I mean, if a person has a confidence based on you know truly knowing the context of this person's life somewhat, you know, again, and I'm I'm not talking about silly FBI investigations that you know that we spoof on Purim and things like that, but I'm talking about you know just. You want to you want to go out with a stranger and think that because you're going to interview them a few times, you know, over over a Coca Cola with a lemon wedge, that you're suddenly going to know them perfectly? Don't you just don't you want to know about the person from context? When you do know about the person from context, when you know that the person has been a good friend to people for the. 15 years of their schooling or the 18 years of their schooling that they've had till this point. They've had classmates and friendships and they're meaningful and strong and 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 the uh, person displays health and the person has a has a famil- family that has friends and acquaintances and, and, and again, you know, there's their limits, but you know, before you even meet the person, you can feel that it's safe. Absolutely. And uh, I, uh, someone who I know Who's a, who's a wonderful, wise person and, and a friend and, and, and a mentor, 
once told me that, that when his children went out with people, 90% of the work was already done. Okay, so it's a bit of an exaggeration, but not much. What, what's the idea 90% of the work was already done? They, they went out with people who, the, who the, he was confident and they were confident they were good people, that they were safe people, that they were, you know, even if they weren't on the exact same page, they don't have to be on exactly the same page. They were in the same chapter, you know, as, the, as, as that person. There was only one thing they had to figure out, and that was if they would like each other. That you can't figure out. You know, on paper you can you can have a guess, but that's that's what's left. And the main the main stuff that we worry about is that it should be safe, that it should be strong, that it should be a good person, a person who's going to be a good spouse to your child, to yourself, a good mother, father to the children. That's what you want to know. You're not going to find that out on a date. Nope, you want to find that out on months of dates. Um, people could say the right things. Find that out by knowing how a person's life has been lived before. Uh -huh. So it's, it sounds to me that you're defining effective dating as effective research and preparation before dating a specific individual. I think there should be effective research and understanding, and there should be as well, you know, together with that, making sure that there's rapport, that people like each other, that they're attracted to each other. That's that's what they do in it. They'll, 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 they're, they're, their styles of communication and all kinds of things. You know, they, yeah, they're, I, you know, that's, I think 10% is an exaggeration, a bit of an exaggeration, but but the big stuff, the stuff that has people lie awake at night is stuff that, that, that people can look to. Can I make a note attached to this, if I may? Please. So we have this thing everybody likes to call it the Shidduch crisis, and we want to figure out how to how to how to address it. And one of the ways that people focus on a lot is shatchanim and increasing the number of professional shatchanim. And I, I think that that's a very fine idea. But have at times taken surveys of people around me, whether a large number of people in a room or whether just a few people in conversation. And I ask them the following question. How did you meet your spouse? Okay, and this is not the right-wing segment, the left-wing segment, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. How did you meet your, your spouse? And um, I don't have real numbers for this. I don't have you know, proper survey data, it's more anecdotal. But in my experience in asking this question, more often than not, they met their spouse through an introduction of a friend or family member more often than by just the fact that they went to a shatchan who they didn't know who was a quote unquote professional shatchan and they met them and then that person introduced them to somebody else. So it happens, that happens often, but I don't know if it happened as often as when reference, a personal reference from somebody. And the difference between the two is that shatchanim who are wonderful, they're still dealing with strangers. They can't answer these questions of knowing the person's life. And who's to say a shatchan, you know, they're, they're there to try to bring people together and it's with a certain lack of knowledge. You know, many of the professional shatchanim in parts of the world meet people for 15-minute installments and then they're they're off to the races, you know, helping them make shidduchim. Again, it's it's not something that... that but. Used to, then you're left to do a lot of the work about being confident, being confident that you're dealing with the right person. When the shidduch is made, as it is more often by somebody who just cares and knows you and says, you know, you're, you, you have an advantage that way. And maybe when we focus our efforts on increasing the possibilities of channels of shidduchim, we should be finding ways to motivate and incentivize friends and family to be thinking more about how to introduce 
people dear to them, to other people who they know or come across rather than um, rather than just focus on professions. I think that's a wonderful idea. If everyone keeps their eyes open for uh, opportunities for everyone else, uh, we can uh, definitely increase the number of shiduchim happening out there. So, Rabbi Auer, another question for you. Maybe we'll finish on this. What would you say the number one thing to look for in a spouse is? You know, people have different opinions on this. And if we say, what's the most important thing? And I guess maybe we'd look at it as if you're at an at a anniversary party 50 years later of a couple people and they've gotten through 50 years and they're happy. Not that they're just smiling, but they're really happy. And we ask them, what has made your marriage successful? What would be the responses that we have? And uh, can we apply that to uh, people who are dating as well? I think I'm learning a little bit. Uh, they're large. That, uh, that the answer, which, which is my favorite answer to that question, is the uh, answer, which is, which is the truth of Kratzko Levenstein, when somebody asked him what to look for in a spouse, and he said three things, midos, midos, and midos good character, good character, and more good character. And it's the same answer to the 50th anniversary. Um, as you know, you know, the person who's happy after 50 years of marriage is going to express that that happiness is not because of where that person went to school or to yeshiva, not based on the type of clothes they wore or the size of clothes they wore, uh, but it's going to be based on the fact that they were loyal, caring, they were a wonderful spouse, they were a good parent, to children, and, uh, and that's what matters. That is what matters. That is what matters. That's what makes us happy in life. That's what that's what what makes for good, strong families. Loyalty, caring, and um, that's all that matters. That's all that matters. All that matters. Yeah, you have to have certain things out of the way. You have to make sure you're not like you know on completely different pages in terms of what you think the, your house should look like and so on and so forth. But you know, it's even when it comes to being on different pages when there's good character. And people who want to make it work, they can accomplish a lot in bridging gaps. So it's, it's not those needles and needles. It's not the the boy went to, or the girl went to, or it's not the university he went to. It's not the car that he drives, or any of those things. But it's uh, it, it's the caring and uh, how, how they treat each yeah. other. Yeah, yeah. I know it's a really, really radical idea. I'm sorry for introducing such a radical. <laughs> <laughs> Rabbi Hanor, I want to thank you so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you. Joining us now is Mrs. Hani Dravel. Mrs. Dravel is a popular lecturer worldwide and also a therapist in Rockland County, New York, but she's available in person and virtually as well. She treats individuals and couples alike, and she is the author of Spira in Our Lives, Applying the Model of Spira to Relationships Distributed by Feldheim. Buy it now. Mrs. Dravel, thank you so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure. So I want to start with a really fundamental question. Somebody is going out, actually two people are going out, a boy and a girl. What's the goal of dating? What should be the end game that they're thinking about? I want to get from here to there. I think that, you know, hopefully people that are dating are, the end game is that they're looking toward marriage. I think the goal of dating per se is is just to give us a sense of the other person, to see if we're comfortable with them, to see if we just enjoy their company. Um, I think it's really important to see if you feel heard by the person and if you enjoy hearing them and the way they think. If you could respect the way they think and, and have a sense of pride in being around them and, you know, being associated with them. If you could get a kick out of each other. My father used to say that ultimately you want to feel like you got the better end of the deal. And that's pretty good advice. 
um, just looking for your comfortable chair, you know, not your electric chair, <laughs> not your, your rotating or, or spinning chair, someone that you could just feel really comfortable being being held by and, and feeling that, that you'd really like being supportive and holding of them, creating that space for them. Yeah, that, that's interesting to feel your comfortable chair, to feel comfortable with that, with that person. And, and that brings to mind another question. Typically, people say uh, you should be yourself on a date. But as we know, people put on their best behavior on a date. That's not being yourself on a date. You're putting on your best behavior. And, and there's some other people that may act in different ways on a date. They may act how they want to be, or they may want to act how they want to be after marriage. And, and the question is, uh, how should you be acting when you're going out with somebody? It's a great question. And, and I wish that it was typical that people were being told to be themselves. I find that working with a lot of really phenomenal singles, um, they're getting advice that that that's different than that. No advice of what they should be or what people would like better. And and I'm I'm really sad about that happening. I think that being our best selves, you know, is is always great. But um definitely be yourself unless you want to be otherwise in marriage or uh, feel like you duped the person into it, which would be sad. Um people forget that, you know, you're looking for someone that that you want to live with. And um I think almost everybody has a sense of what works for them in terms of friendships, and they've probably had other relationships in their life that they've forged successfully. So dating could just be one of those. It doesn't have to feel like something that's that's so abstract and 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 foreign. If you really think of it as just another relationship, it's more loaded, but it's another relationship. Something to bear in mind is that I think it was a, a poll done a number of years back about what trait people find most attractive in a partner. And 85% of people found that confidence was the most attractive trait, was the most critical trait. So it's hard to be confident if you're not being yourself. So giving a person a sense that you're comfortable in your skin um, only comes if you are being in your skin. And I, I think that's really important. Being real. You know, I, I, I tell people that I work with that if you're feeling nervous, instead of sort of putting up a front and being self-conscious, just say, you know, I'm finding myself sort of nervous. Just putting it out is a good way of diffusing it. The more you're natural, the more you let yourself be real, the more you could let your guard down and, and inspire the same in the other person in a way that... Yeah. Now, I want to go back to something that you said. You said you wish people were being advised that they should be yourself and they're getting other advice. So my question is, what advice are they getting and from whom are they getting that advice? That's a good question. You know, I, I think that varies. There are people that, you know, might put together classes or, or people that, you know, mean well that they know in their families or in their circles or, you know, in, in coaching modalities. You know, I, I think it depends or, or friends that say this worked for me, you know, and, and it got me to the next place. But I, I think that everybody means well and everybody might know what what did work for them. But in general, um, not that anything is, is ever across the board, but I think in general, we can't go wrong in being ourselves. Worst comes to worst. You know, if the person doesn't want me, that might be a good indication, you know, after quite a few years of, of dating, um, 
I, I, I had so many experiences of people that I really would have liked to marry that didn't feel the same. And when I met my husband, there were still some of those that I was thinking, you know, maybe that'll end up working. And I remember on our fifth date, I asked my husband, I said, we've been dating basically the same amount of time. How do you handle it when someone that you really like and that you're interested in drops you? And my husband said, you know, I've, I've never had to handle that. I said, are you serious? You've never been dropped? He said, no, I've been dropped many times. You didn't ask me that. I never had to handle it because I'm really looking for someone who wants me. So when they drop me, I'm just not someone I'd be interested in. And and that became such a game changer for me. And, you know, Baruch Hashem, I, I saw that, you know, I had what to work with there. But, but I, I think we forget that. You know, so it's not about what people will like. It, it's about, you know, finding someone who, who's going to like me and who, you know, I, I wouldn't want them to be putting on a front and, and that would be hard to take. So why would I want to do otherwise? So I, right. I think giving people the confidence and the sense of, of the success that they have in other relationships, hopefully, is really, you know, the best advice to give them in moving into dating. Just remembering and, you know, yeah. Yeah, so in, in talking about uh, dating effectively, because that's, that's indeed our topic, obviously what you do on a date is going to have an impact on how you're going to get to know the person, how comfortable you're going to be, different situations you're going to see the person in. So if a client comes to you or I come to you and ask you uh, on a podcast, for example, what should you do on a date to make it effective? For example, the first date, the second date, the third date. You can't go and sit in a hotel lobby the whole time and think that that's going to be totally effective in getting to to know the other person. So what is some idea and what are some effective ways that you can uh, have a nice time but also get to know the uh, the other person as well at the same time? That's such an important question in, in planning. Um, and, and I think you're so right when you say about not just sitting and doing the same thing. Because I, I think what you want to try, as hard as it is, to create different venues when you do see different sides of the person. You could tell so much about how a person is by how they relate to a waiter, or how they are in traffic, or how they are in a competitive sport, right? So it's really nice to have a variety. In general, I think the first two dates, you know, basically... The first date is just sort of seeing if there could be a second. So if we connect those two, the first two dates should be pretty light. You know, just on the surface, is there someone that I, I could enjoy? Um, just general questions just to to see who they are, to gauge the comfort and general interest. Um, I think in general on dates, it's important to really try to not analyze during the date. Because that really takes away from the flow and, just, and and if there would be a comfort. To reserve that and reflect on that afterward. To sort of be present, as hard as that is, to be present in the date and and be focused on on the person and, and the feelings that you're experiencing at that time without thinking beyond that or taking too much too seriously or at the next level, you know, just to wait with that. Um, obvious red flags are going to surface, you know, and obvious disinterest is going to surface. But for the things that you wonder about, there's time later to reflect on that. I think that helps a lot. The third date is usually a date where um, it could go a little deeper, you know, not just about 
you know, do you have a lot of friends? But but to ask questions that are a bit under the surface, sort of going from the first floor to the basement, right? So I think important things to screen for is, and it doesn't have to be an interrogation, but just in an organic way, do they have good relationships with family members? It's a really big deal. Usually if you haven't worked things out with parents, it's going to come back, you know, in the next relationship. Do they have long-term friends or chavrusas? Or do they have people that that they rely on, that that they you know look to as mentors, or um, definitely a, a rav that that they're sort of open to something bigger than themselves and, and seeking that out? Are there responsibilities that they carry through, and um, are they giving? You know, to sort of see that come out or or ask questions in in a, in an easy way that screen for those things. How do they handle problems or conflicts? I think one of the most important things to look for and to become is someone that's resilient. You know, I, I think one thing that I found really important to ask about in, in Shaduchim for our children was what was the worst thing that this family went through and how did they handle it? If there was no worst thing, I, I wonder about that, you know, but you want someone who who's realistic about life having ups and downs and you prove yourself more from the from the parts of life that are hard than the parts of the life that go your way so is this someone that could handle conflict and who has shown resilience in getting through a harder time to have conversations about that or to do research about that about the person and their family um i think those are really important things to look for yeah, I, I find it interesting that question that you asked your husband on the fifth date. That's a that's a great question, fairly direct question as well, and personal, personal as well. Um, talk with us about other ways to make dating effective. We're talking about some of the questions, but going to different places. Are there museums? Are there specific areas that people have had more success in and going at, or is it that is that really a subjective thing? And and other thoughts on how somebody can be really effective and targeted in trying to get through the dating process in, in a, the most efficient, effective, and uh, and in positive way possible. Well, where, where to go, you know, could also be conversation. You know, what types of things do you like doing in your free time? And, you know, if, if you're at the point of having that kind of conversation, what would you like to do, you know, on, on the next date? to be open about that and and maybe if it you know the the young man planning it or the not so young man planning it you know to to ask the person he's dating you know what what would be of interest to you or to help her prepare to know how to dress for it if you want to do something casually or not that's a sign of you know of of caring and consideration i think it's really individual if you're interested in museums and the other person is too that's a great idea you know going playing miniature golf, you know, and or, or just going someplace that that you could just see another side. Um, I, I think it, it is interesting going to places that do show you how they are with others and and sometimes in competition. Those are really important signs, you know, how you speak to someone that um that, that you might feel superior to. You know, that's a really big sign. I, I always tell women when they're asking about research, I said, "Now we should really be calling the cleaning lady to ask about the family. You know, like how do they treat people that 
that aren't getting ads. That's such a big thing, right? Um, and uh, I, I was a gentleman that that had a suit store said, I wish people would ask me about boys because I see how they speak to me and I see how they bargain with me and how they thank me or not. You know, so you want to get a sense of who the person is in a holistic way, um, you know, and, and, and that's important. But it should be something that you both enjoy. You know, if, if you both enjoy taking walks, if you just both enjoy, you know, things that are that are that are more fun or, or more sedate, you know, that's it, it should be that each side feels that, that they're sort of getting, you know, somewhat uh, their, their interests met. Hopefully they have commonality in those interests. Now, you you yeah. come back from a date. You come back, and and oftentimes uh, the guys will speak with a hover. Uh, I have this concern, this worked, I don't like this, and, and I assume that the girls do that as well. They get on the phone and they talk with their, their friends, they get their advice and input. And, and would you say that that is a wise thing to do? You're talking with people who may understand you well, but don't necessarily have the worldly experience of what to look for and what's important. And it could be that uh, what's important in finding a friend is different in finding a spouse. So uh, would you say generally that uh, friends are not a good idea? Does it depend the friend if they're insightful, if they are uh, if they have a social work head on, uh, then, then maybe they're better. So what's the direction that you would give people on that? I think having, a fr- there's nothing like having a friend and it's critical in life in so many ways. When it comes to asking about dating, you know, I, I think th- this is really, I, I've seen this quite a number of times. And even in with the best of friends, it, you have to really make sure it's someone who could be objective and who doesn't have an agenda. I know this is a really shocking story, but I remember quite a number of years ago, I was working with a young woman who was in, you know, just about to get engaged. And uh, it was pretty much a done deal. And she told her roommate who had been seeing her through the dating and, and, uh, the roommate said, you know, I really don't think it's a good idea. And, you know, what about this and this, and I think you could do better. And, and based on that roommate who she thought was her closest and and dearest friend, she actually broke up and the roommate got engaged a year later and pulled her over at her own VART and in tears asked for forgiveness. She said, he was a great guy. I was just so afraid of losing you. And um, and I I wasn't even in touch with how subjective I was. And thank God they did get back together. And um, I, I was just so impressed that the roommate was in touch to that, to that level and, and took that accountability. But sometimes single friends, even if they want to be, it, it is hard to be objective. That doesn't mean that they can't be just something to be mindful of. Is this a friend who's hearing you or who's sort of laminating their own experiences and assumptions onto you? You know, it could be that that they're giving you advice that worked for them or what they were looking for. You know, that not necessarily is that something that's targeted to you, what's important. So if it's someone that's hearing you and you really have this deep sense of them making it all about you, then by all means, um, but friends may not be the best address, you know, even if they are the best of friends. 
Right. So that, that, that I guess that leads to my next question, because I have heard stories of friends being not actively misleading, just don't have the experience to really be able to advise. And uh, w- would it be accordingly wise to go to a dating coach, an advisor, an expert in this area? And I would also have a gloss on that. Would you divide up between somebody who is starting to date, pre-dating, starting to date and somebody who's been doing it a while, do they need more advice or have they more experience at this point? Does somebody who's new in the in the shidduch uh, scene need advice or should they just go out and get some experience? There's no one size fits all. I, I do think one really important piece, and I've heard this from numerous shadzchanim um, over the years, is that one preparatory piece when when a child when someone is young young enough that parents are heavily involved one preparation needs to be that parents and the child are on the same page in terms of what they're really looking for so many shots come and tell me that parents have their list of you know of, of what has to be and they're really not in sync and that's such a time waster and it's so frustrating all around so one preparation is that parents need to open up the conversation you know, are are they aware of, you know, their their child's must-haves and must-not-haves? Now, there shouldn't be that many of them, but generally, I you know, I I, you know, I encourage singles to sort of have three, not as opposites, but three must-haves, three must-not-haves, just to know, you know, just to be able to know what what they're really looking for and have the parents on that page. Recently, I was working with a, a young divorcee, a wonderful, wonderful young woman, and. And when we did that list for her to move forward, she said, you know, that the person I was married to really didn't have anything on either one of these lists that, that I, I needed or didn't need. So just having that thought, moving away from the desperation and just knowing that, you know, this is something we really want to do right and we want to do it for and with you. So that's critical. Most people, you know, if they do have the basic tools, you know, of communication and, and they have that sense of, of being comfortable, you know, maybe they'll need some tweaking if they have a friend or someone in their life that really just could hear them and, and let them hear themselves by, you know, by, by talking about the dates before and after. That might be great. That might be enough. Coaches could be very helpful and they're very popular now to put out the standard tools and encourage things and, you know, and, and maybe move them forward. I don't think they're always equipped um, to really untangle or, or understand and hear the themes and the roots of what somebody might might be dealing with. You know, if, if there is a block, sometimes that does indicate something bigger, if there is a fear, not always is every fear just the fear of going to the next step. So sometimes, you know, a therapist who who knows how to, you know, do the work with singles and relationships could be effective in doing both. They could do the coaching, but they also might be somewhat more equipped to do the deeper work. I, I also think it's very important as always to have a rub, you know, a rub who knows you and, um, and that could be so helpful in just having questions of of hashkafa, you know, of of advice, of um, of really, you know, hopefully understanding your needs and separating the the things that are priorities and and maybe don't have to be. That's also so important. You know, I I know a young woman who always assumed that she had to have someone who was learning long term. She met someone who wasn't, and uh, 
she felt that she'd be settling, even though this person was really someone she looked up to in a lot of ways. And she met with her Rav, who knew her very, very well. And he said, you know, it sounds like I'm not sure about how much of a Talmud Chacham. I'd have to find out. But it sounds like you found a real Ben Torah. And that, that means you didn't settle, you know, and he's going to wake up your kids and, and have the right attitude of saying Moda'ani. He spends his free time in really, really beautiful ways. And he's someone who's sort of a done deal. And, and you see what the product is and you feel really good about it. So that gave her permission to be open to something that she originally didn't think she could be or should be open to. So important to have that, you know, to give us a sense of of our real hashkafa sachayim in a way that we could trust. So all those, you know, they, they just, there's so many things. I, I think, though, that the overwhelming sense that so many people have, number one, that they have to be desperate to check marriage off their list, one, two, three, and, and the sense that we have to get it right, you know, it, it, that, that's not helping. You know, it is. It's a process, you know, and, and you are going to be nervous at the beginning. And even if it's the right one, you're going to laugh 10 years later at your first date. And that's good. It's healthy. So just just giving someone a sense of, you know, let's see how this goes. Let's be on the same page. You know, you have so much to be confident of. You have so much to offer. You don't have to sell yourself short. Uh, there is a God. You know, just just having that that healthy approach to it would go a long way. Right. Mrs. Jernavel, I want to thank you so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure having you on and hearing the insights and the experiences that you have over the decades of assisting t- people. It, it really comes forth. Thank you so much. I, I just want to say one other thing, and this is a pitch. You know, I, I have this list to work with a lot of phenomenal older singles, and I'd love for us as a community to be less focused on telling them what they're doing wrong and utilize them for everything they do right. There are people that have a tremendous amount of wisdom and capability and competence and goodness, and um, I think when it does come to dating and advice, they they are worthy of us giving uh, giving them our sense of confidence and support and uh and they could probably advise us in a lot of ways just because their process hasn't led to the outcome doesn't mean that they don't know a lot better about who they are and what dating is i just you know wanted to put that out for them yeah very valuable including having them over for shabbos meals and reaching out to them and uh, making sure they're taking care of them the communities as well and, and admired and needed and utilized. Yeah. Very good. Thank you so much, Mr. Jurabel. Thank you so much okay. for joining. Pleasure. Joining us now is Dr. Avi Mushel. Dr. Mushel is a clinical psychologist who specializes in relationship issues and who is trained in emotionally focused therapy. Dr. Mushel, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Dr. Mushal, I did forget to mention that you're also uh, a musbach of Orachayim, so I should really say Rabbi Dr. Avi Mushal. So again, thank you so much for joining us. It is a good to be here. So Dr. Mushal, we're talking about effective dating, making the de- dating as effective as possible. And maybe we should start uh, with an initial question of when somebody is considering dating or before dating, when they're dating, what's the most important thing for a person to do in order to make their dating as effective as possible? That's a very important question. I think that 
we get busy sometimes with the process. We're looking at the person we're going to date. From my experience, working not only with people who are dating, but people who are married, and unfortunately, sometimes it didn't go so well. What I am seeing is that the, to me, the number one most important thing before a person starts dating is to know who you are. You want a fancier word? Identity. A person absolutely has to know who they are before they could start talking about who they want to marry. And to me, like I said, this is what I see, unfortunately, so often going poorly, that leads to not such great results. You know, there's a story I saw Dr. Bencio Tsurutskin quotes from Rapam, which I think really highlights this idea. And as I've seen it more, it, it, the story has become more relevant to me, where he said, somebody asked him, what do you, somebody came to Rapam and said, what should I be looking for in a girl when I begin dating? And he said, that's like coming to a person at the train station and saying, excuse me, what train do I get on? The answer is it depends where you are going. Is going to is going to explain which train you should get on. And I see this all the time. It cannot be stated strongly enough that a person needs to know who they are if they want to start looking ahead towards marriage. Are you interested in, again, the, the one example that comes up the most often in our circles might be Hashkafa, but are you interested in learning in Kola? Are you interested in working? Are you interested in your Shabbat table looking like this? Are you interested in your children looking like that? And a person has to really know the answers to those questions for themselves. And then with that, they could go into the dating process with somebody who's going to match and hopefully bring out those qualities, those interests, those golden values in a really effective way. So, you know, on this topic, it, it, what I see so many times, people have multiple identities and that makes it hard to know. I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen that become a barrier. You know, I was once speaking and I wrote down a story, a client, and we're always careful when you tell about a story about a client to make sure that they don't have the information given away. And I read this story over when I was about to do the speech and I realized I didn't even know which client I was talking about because it could have described five or six different ones. And this is something we see all the time. I mean, I'll tell you, I guess, the happiest ending of all my stories again, which is I had one boy who father was a hush of Rosh Hashiva, and he was very into learning. And he thought that he should marry a girl who wants to marry somebody who's going to become a Rosh Kailo or something like that. And it was not going well for year after year after year. And finally, one day we had this breakthrough. We realized he doesn't really want to marry Shiva's daughter. He, he had a hard time being honest with himself about it. But he realized that he wanted to marry a girl who just wants to marry a working guy, just be an Erlach Abalabas. And that was it. And he gives about Yomi Shir now in his community. And that for him was really what he wanted. But it took him a long time to get comfortable with that place. But once he did, you know, four or five years of dating, literally then, you know, he was able to move on that quickly. Once he was at peace and settled with who he was, he was able to find who he was looking for and sort of create that successful, happy ending. So that, that's really the point. If you don't know who you are, you don't know who you're looking for. Exactly. And so this isn't only understanding your own identity. This is more than that. Yeah, again, identity, I'm including anything in it. I'm including your hashkaf. I'm including personality. Really knowing who you are. I'll, I'll tell you the truth. The one that I see is the most complex that, that turn into difficult clinical cases are people who sometimes have what I like to call multiple identities, where a part of them likes to have a good time and, and chill, but a part of them likes to be very serious and, and a bento and yeshiva. And when a person sometimes has more than one part of themselves and become tricky, because which part of you are you presenting in Shadokham? Are you interested in marrying a girl or boy who fits that side of you or the other side of you. And a person really has to think very deeply about these questions themselves before they could 
go out and find an appropriate partner. Right, so oftentimes people say start with the shopping list of what you're looking for in the other person. That's oftentimes what people talk about. I, I once heard Rabbi Vigdal Miller talking on uh, a, a quite related issue, and he said, everyone always thinks when they're dating, is that the right person for me? And first you have to think, am I the right person for that person? You know, am I the right person? So that's a long line somewhat about what you're saying, because he was more focused on having proper meetos first, working on your meetos to make sure that you're appropriate for that person. And I think you're broadening more. Know your stuff, know what your needs are in order to start creating your shopping list thereafter. But if you're going to have a shopping list and you don't know what you're shopping for, is it a Shabbos meal or is it an engagement party or something, you're kind of wasting your time on your shopping list. Exactly. That's exactly it. Okay, got it. So let's move forward. Uh, another ingredient that people often talk about, is it necessary? Is it not necessary before marriage is you need to love the person? Do you need to like the person? And, and more globally, feelings, feelings that develop. Do they have to develop before marriage or can they develop if you check the boxes somewhat? You know, it's a, I guess it's a more dry way to look at it. Everything looks right on the paper. So emotion that's not on the paper that will develop thereafterward. Is that something that will happen or do you have, have at least uh, something developed in advance to be more confident that uh, that's the person for you? So I think that that question actually feeds off your previous question. I think the previous question you sort of hinted at is, is it good to have a shopping list after you work on your own self? You know, maybe it's it's important now you have to know what you're looking for in the girl. So I'll, I'll sort of begin with that and then segue into this, if that's okay, which is to say that you need to have some, it's good to have a shopping list, quote unquote. It's good to have an idea of, okay, I figured out who I am. And based who I, off of what I figured out about myself, I think I would like to potential spouse to have these three, four, five qualities, whether it be me, whether it be interests, shifos, whatever it is. But then once you get on the date, in my mind, that's where your list has to be put, you know, in your pocket, put on the side. And now you're actually dating the other person, the real person. Hopefully you found somebody who's in the right ballpark based on your list. But now that you're across the table from them or on whatever, different couches, wherever you are, at this point, now it's all about the two of you. It's about your relationship. And to answer your second question, I believe that this is where love has a bad reputation where love is sold as something that is built after marriage. And I believe that that's correct. There's a lot of Mara Komost on this, or Shamshan Rapal Hirsch writes about this by Yitzhak and Rivka. The Malbim writes about it in Sacred Devarim. And there's plenty of contemporary literature written by rabbis about Shalabayas, about how true love, real love is, is after the wedding, not this frivolous feelings you have before the wedding. And while I agree that the realest, deepest, truest love, the love that I think about of, let's say, my grandparents walking down the aisle together after 50 plus years married at, at mine or my sibling's wedding, well, there is something very, very deep and powerful that can't be touched by some young couple dating for two months. I think that we have to not go to an extreme. We have to be careful. We have to let people know that you have to have something. You have to have feelings. I don't care what you want to call them. I call them love. If you don't like that word, call them like, call them something. But I don't think we could totally paint those feelings in a negative light because those feelings actually are going to be what drives you. Those are going to be the things that help you know, is this a person I could spend my life with? I mean, I quoted the Malmu who says that real love comes after the wedding. If you look at the Malmu, he talks about it as a seed that you plant and turns into this beautiful tree. So I think that if you take the metaphor seriously, that means that there has to be a seed during the dating of what, what I'm calling love, what other people could call whatever they want. But there has to be some feelings, real feelings that are there during the dating process that then over 50 years could God willing turn into a beautiful tree, plant, flower. But go into the dating and we take our list with us and we say, listen, 
on paper, it makes a lot of sense. And again, this is where it gets a little tricky, but sometimes people are not getting great advice from around them where people are saying, no, but he's such a good boy or such a good girl. It makes so much sense. But if there are no feelings there, it really, really is destined to fail. There has to be feelings there. Again, it doesn't have to be each person to their own level. It doesn't have to be crazy. It doesn't have to be obsessive. It doesn't have to be extreme, but there have to be feelings there of, of some sort of, of, of wanting more, of, of wanting to get to know the person, of wanting to be close to them for this relationship to work. Right. Uh, Victor Miller, again, he talks about the, uh, the myth of Hollywood of romantic love, that that doesn't exist. That's not a Jewish concept to look for that. And if you're looking for that, it uh, will not be very successful. So you know, ha having said that, when somebody's dating and you're going from one date to the next, how do you know if you should continue? Because if we're not looking for romantic love or, or uh, romantic like or whatever it is, but we're looking, looking for some semblance of it, how do you know date to date? Because you're not feeling it. Should I go to the next day? To the, the go to the next day? I, I re recently met with uh, with somebody who runs a a, a shadchan system, very very successful shadchan system. They have uh, four they have four marriage a marriage every four days, a marriage every four days through their system. And he said they did a study, and there were so many of them that had wanted to quit after three dates. And uh, they, it's 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 kind of a shadchan system, but a very except fifteen hundred shadchanim. It's a very decentralized shadchanim. And uh, th their their research showed them that if they could get people to the fifth date, even though they wanted to quit earlier, the chances were exponentially higher for those people to continue and and to get married. So how do you know personally going through the process? You're every date you're analyzing yes, no, yes, no. When do you say yes to the next date? And when do you say no? And I guess a gloss on that question is, keep it in mind, am I saying, uh, should I be thinking, do I want to marry this person? Or should I be thinking, do I want to go on the next date with this person? So I like the way you phrased it in the last question, because I think that really begins to answer the question. I think that the answer is you want to marry them, but very often when you think about marriage, that anxiety alone paralyzes you scares you. you think, well, I like them today, but 50 years is a long time. And so people end up getting anxious. I, again, it's very tricky. And I'll be honest, I'm very torn about those kinds of systems. I think that if a person is not comfortable going on another date or they're, they're hesitant, what, my, what I do in my office is let's, let's, let's understand why. Let's just talk about it. Let's understand what is slowing you down. Is that what it is? And I have used that line, Ravari, about sometimes saying to them, if you could get married to them just for this week, and then it's done, no strings attached. Well, how do you feel about that? Again, it's not a perfect answer because there's all sorts of other chesbonos, but in theory, that helps us take the 50-year piece and the scare out of it and make it into a question of, do you like this person today? Do you want to get to know them today? Are you enjoying spending time with them today? And those are really the kind of questions I ask because like I said, to be the number one thing is do you like them? I mean, I could tell you countless stories in, in both directions. I'll tell you some of the better ones, but like a person would come in and say, you know, I don't know, like it just didn't this doesn't look like the kind of person I was looking for. I thought I would want a person from this kind of family. They're from that kind of family. I thought I was looking for this kind of person. They're kind of that person. I said, okay, but do you enjoy? Yeah, no, I, I love spending time with them. It's terrific. He gets me. He understands. So then what are we talking about? It's done. Like that. That's all you can ask for. You can ask for an authentic connection where the person, where you can be you, they can be them. You're really together and you enjoy spending time, which again, I can't say enough. Then it's good. If your Rebbe, your parents, your friends think that like, oh, this is the most amazing person in the world. I'm happy for you to give it another try, but a little bit understand what is what is blocking you. What's blocking you? The fact that you don't feel anything or is it's blocking you the fact that you just 
are scared, big deal to make a decision. Sometimes you have people who really do like the person, and this happens also quite frequently. They just don't trust themselves to make that big of a choice. Sometimes you'll have this person, you know, having a hard time making a choice about where to go for dinner. Sometimes that's okay, but when it gets bigger, all of a sudden the stakes are higher. And I sort of have to like work with them. I try to work with them on understanding what is it? Is it that you really like this person? Like you said, I could spend time with them today. I want to get to know them. I look forward to their phone calls. I look forward to our dates. I miss them. I, again, I don't want to get married to any one of these questions, pun intended, but I don't want to you know, marry any one of these questions because they could all come with their own complications. But generally speaking, what is blocking you? Is it an anxiety just about what it means to get married, which is a big deal, but it's really, let's say like this, it's like a you problem. That's something in your head. Or is it a this person problem, a them problem where really great, I just don't like them. That's an interesting way to divide it up between is it a me or is it, or is it a him or her problem? Now, your, your focus here is on connection, connecting with the other person and also feeling comfortable with the other person. And oftentimes we talk about attraction. Is attraction necessary? And attraction could be fairly broad physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, intellectually. Would you say that is con all contained within connection with the other person or is that something else? I, to me, that that's on the line between being you and feeling connected. I, I don't know if it's exactly the question you're asking, but I'll, I'll use it to build off that, which is person needs to be honest about what they're interested in and traction. You know, I can't tell you how many guys I have seen in my office and sometimes on a Zoom and they'll say, I've never said this to anybody before, but I really like this girl. I just don't find her attractive. And I've had that countless times with young yeshiva guys who are constantly being told attraction shakir achain has a yofi all that matters is that she have me those and that's the only thing that counts and at the end of the day they're not feeling physically attracted which is not going to be good for a marriage but they're so ashamed that they don't feel that that i might be the first person they ever told that to and so we have to be real with yourself about what what you're interested in maybe you find a person who is a spiritual bar or bas she'ifa to be attractive. Maybe you find somebody who is physically attractive to be attractive. We don't like to speak this way. Maybe you find somebody with a large bank account to be very attractive. And again, it, it's not politically correct. It doesn't feel nice to say these things. But to me, it's going to be much more important that you be honest about what you find attractive, whether it's physical or financial or anything else that's quote unquote not PC. That's going to be much more advantageous going into the process than to trick yourself into to thinking that I just want a girl who's about me, those going to help me learn and grow, which I think it is the ideal. But if that's not what you're feeling, it's not going to be good for you. And, and I guess to come back full circle, it's not going to lead to a connection that's meaningful because at the end of the day, physical interaction, let's say, is important to you and you don't find this girl physically attractive, it's not going to materialize. And the only thing that can happen, God forbid, is a person gets pressured from the outside to do something he doesn't want to do. Right, so it's a subjective definition as to what an attraction is and you have to know your definition. I guess that comes back to the, your first statement is, who am I? What is my identity? Yes. What am I for? Okay. Absolutely. Very, I like very subjective. Yes. I like the consistency. So you mentioned before, sometimes people come in and they say, well, I, I expected otherwise. I had one expectation and she's just not that. And the question is, are, are there times that people need to quote unquote settle 
and accept their potential spouse won't be quote unquote perfect based on their definition of perfection. And and if that's the case, how do you go through a marriage? Do people regularly think this is my spouse? I settled. Uh, this is really not the ideal for me. This is a very hard question. Maybe the hardest question that I deal with. It really, really is tricky because it, 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 touches on fundamental issues of what do I do if, if one thing leads this way, one thing leads that way, and they're so opposed to each other. I mean, I had literally two of these cases just this week, which are extraordinarily difficult. I had a couple come and the girl said to me, he's perfect for me. He is the safest, healthiest, wonderful person I've ever dated. And she's been dating for a few years, but I'm not sure if, if I'm really in love with him the way I've loved some other people before or felt whatever we're, we're calling it. I call it love. What do I do? Do I settle for this person who's so wonderful or do I keep going where I could end up being 40 and go for the perfect person that I always dreamed of? This is where my style is. I am not going to, again, I guess consistent also with what I'm saying is that I'm not going to just take the party line here, the politically correct approach and say, no, you have to settle. You're not being realistic. Even though that might be the way some people get coached, you know, you're just, you're not getting any younger. All these really helpful lines that people say to people who are dating, that's not going to be my approach. On the other hand, I'm not going to go to the other extreme and say, you know, just keep waiting. You'll find him. Keep waiting. It'll be perfect. Go for it. I, I, I believe that anybody who's coming into my office, really of any age, but certainly legally over the age of 18, is able to make a choice. And I think that as long as you know what you are doing, as long as you are aware of the choice that you are making, in my mind, that's okay. As long as you understand that it's settled, it feels very uncomfortable because a part of me is dying. That childhood dream I had of marrying the perfect girl and walking down the aisle with my parents and all my friends, like that dream you had may be dying and that's incredibly sad, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. You have to decide how are you going to play this. It's like the biggest investment decision of your life. I can't tell you whether you should take a high risk, high reward investment or a low risk, low reward investment. That's not my business to tell you how to invest. Both of them have, you know, upsides and downsides. And it's a very personal decision whether you feel comfortable marrying this person, knowing that they will be an amazing spouse for you, but you might not feel those butterflies and romance feelings you felt for a different person, or you want to hold out single. And again, Take a chance if we don't know how that's going to end. It's very possible you're never going to find somebody. And my job is to be the voice of logic and reason, but I'm not here to persuade anybody. I'm not here to force that down their throat to say, no, you're being unrealistic. You're setting the bar too high. I love setting the bar high. It's just you have to know what you're doing and you have to understand that it's coming with a cost. You have to know the downside. You have to know both sides of the equation. Absolutely. Got it. Okay. One last question for you. Do you have other advice for those who are listening? It could be people who are dating, or it could be the parents of people who are dating, friends of people who are dating, grandparents of people who are dating, people who will be dated, but uh, audience uh, spectrum of people listening. So do you have other advice on the best ways to date effectively? So I think sort of consistent with what we've been saying about number one, being real about who you are, and number one, connecting. So I think that that question sort of brings it full circle, is that the idea here 
is you want to be real. You want to be, we haven't said the word, but it's such an important one, is vulnerable, which is allowing yourself to be put out there, to take risks by saying things about yourself, which don't have to be bad, but they have to be real about who you really are, what your goals and interests are in life. And you have to balance that with just having a good time. I mean, if you go on a date and just the whole time, it's like, let me tell you about who I am. It's going to be very scary and overwhelming and very intense. On the other hand, if you just uh, go to an arcade or a hotel lobby for three hours and just joke around, there's not going to be opportunity for, for a meaningful connection because we're just having fun like two friends. So it has to be some sort of balance between those two. There has to be some real vulnerability component to the date. And there has to be some fun connection, playful component to the date where you're just getting along, getting to know each other and, and building that. So I think if you mix those two ingredients, you know, authentic vulnerability with fun and connection, I think you're you're on the path to what I hope would be a lot of success. Very good. I, I think I'm I'm calling two major principles. Tell me if if I'm wrong on this or right. And number one, be real. First, know who you are. And number two, look for a real connection and feeling comfortable with that other person. Absolutely. I think that that you know one leads to two. Is if you could be real and the other person could be real. If you're both authentic about who you are, you could build an authentic connection between the two of you and build something very special. Dr. Michelle, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Certainly things that we don't oftentimes hear and uh, hopefully people can uh, really benefit from this. If uh, they want to get in touch with you, they can find you on, on your website to a search for Dr. Michelle, Avi Michelle, and yeah. HBL. That should work. Terrific. Thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Joining us now is Micah Friedland. Micah is a resident of Passaic. He has served as a dating coach for many years. He also assists in running singles events, and he's very much involved in the uh, current shidduch, I guess we call it shidduch scene or something like that, and to also uh, have some information how it has changed over time. Micah, thank you so much for joining us. Ari, thank you so much for having me. Uh, to me, it's a real privilege, and I feel very humbled to join the podcast. I'm a big fan of you and Rob David. Um, I think Headlines talks about the difficult issues. So I appreciate that I can be here to share. Thank you. And this is certainly one of them. So we're talking about effective dating and we can define that as dating that it leads to hopefully a happy marriage. And uh, we do see some ineffective dating as well currently, or maybe inefficient dating, people who are looking and looking and unfortunately not finding. And there are significant numbers that are going on dates and trying to meet and going through different avenues nowadays. And I wanted to pick your brain on what's going on. You're in the middle of the, of the hub in New York there, and uh, you're very much involved on the ground. And I, maybe we should ask not so much how do you have effective dating right now, but, but what are the things right now that you see that are leading maybe to ineffective dating? Yeah. Um, I think there's a psychological issue. I think there's a system-wide issue. I think we should address, you know, all of those in between. I think on the system-wide issue, I think we're creating too many options for people to date, whether that means um, I've seen photo albums of just girls' pictures or the ability to date from Shad Khanim, friends, Shabbos Table, J-Swipe, and other apps, um, or that Shad Khanim were sending, you know, you know, 10 suggestions at a time. So that we have the issue of the number of options and the so it creates... Yeah, go. And albums, well, what does that mean photo albums of, of girls and is there, are there photo albums of, of boys as well? What, what's a photo album? So photo albums can be a lot of things. I, um, I've talked to guys and they literally have an album on their iPhone that's l just pictures of girls and they'll know who each girl is and I don't think they have any detail about the girl, but that's 
that's used in their dating. Who sends that around? Is that a shopkeeper will send you like, or people that put them together? Yeah, I mean, there are guys that put them together, for sure. In terms of Shad Khanim, you know, I have seen things like a resume book that was used in, like inclusively for a group of people. Um, pros and cons to that, I think the pro is that everybody knew who they'd come to meet in like a, in a certain category um, at their events and forth. Con is that, I think this is the con always for options, is that the leading just, um, psychologists, which are Barry Schwartz and Sheena Iyengar, um, and Swarthmore and Columbia respectively, have talked about how too much choice creates decision paralysis. So we take longer to make decisions and we actually make the wrong decision, which is why I think we see people dating for longer and why we end up seeing people maybe make the wrong decision that leads to, you know, harder or you know, divorce, harder marriages or divorces. Uh -huh. So so people are getting numerous resumes, especially the, the boys or girls also? Um, boys much more so. Um, I think one of the ways to solve the shit of crisis would be making it equal boys and girls. Or let's use the language of men and women. I think that's, uh, we, I want to be careful with our, our lesson um, yeah. because I think that that's something you should be sensitive towards. Men are getting the suggestions. In fact, there are women who don't get suggestions for months at a time. Um, oftentimes, most, most men will receive resumes on a regular basis. So, so what you're saying is the, the men are getting albums and they can look at like an Ikea catalog, you know, choose what you want, A, B, C, E, all the way up to 70, 80, 100 resumes or pictures in, a, in an album. I mean, that, that has happened in, in, in a rare instance, but I think the general is even when a shotgun meets, meets a guy, she'll come up with a handful of suggestions and he might meet two shotgun in that week or three or four, or those shot kind of will send him five, five a week. And now he basically becomes an admissions officer, let's say at Harvard, where everybody who's being, who applies almost qualified or basically qualified, but you can only take 5%. So you, you automatically have to mix 19 out of 20 just, you know, to get somewhere. And sometimes you might mix the right person because somebody is a star at dancing, or in this case, a star in one area, but not the, the most appropriate for you. Uh -huh. Okay, so the, too too many choices. What, what demographic are we talking about, by the way? Because I'm a little surprised about hearing the albums, and obviously that is a total lack of Tznias sending around uh, photo albums of, of young ladies, of women. So what, what demographic are we talking about here? I don't like to categorize Jews, but we'll do it anyway just for <laughs> conversation. Don, I appreciate that. Um... So I, the, the, the demographic that I work with and I'm, you know, that I know well, is anywhere between, let's say, 24 to 38, let's say, why you machmir, modern orthodox machmir, to modern yeshivas and, let's say, even yeshivas that are not full-time learners. So that's, you know, and, and I know the tri-state area the best, but, you know, I also know people from Chicago, Detroit, Los Angeles, Miami. In terms of, you know, I happen to be, and this might get me in trouble, but I happen to be, to be an advocate of pictures. I just think that the, the, the um, the application of the way that we use pictures are, is being um, misused and, and so forth. That's just too many, too much, too many options, and it should be more focused and uh, more, more, I guess, more effective in, in how yeah. it's done. More Sanua, how it's done. Right. I can, okay. Yeah. So let's turn over to discussing how, how to make it more of a proper system, more of an effective system that people can get more focused on the reasons for dating. I, I guess, why are people dating? At a certain point, do they lose focus of the point that they should be dating for marriage purposes and it's just more of meeting people and going through a process and do they still have hope? Is it still that they're focused on marriage or do you kind of let, let lose focus on what the goal is of everything? So that's, I mean, these, these are great questions. I think 
for sure, a lot of despair happens by the time, you know, the singles reach their late 20s or 30s. I think people lose focus of why they're dating and what they're dating for. Um, that could be their priorities or their, you know, I think girls, women are taught, you know, marriage levels, a certain level of marriage classes in seminary, but eight, 10 years out, they don't have a refresher course. And men oftentimes aren't even really given much instruction in yeshiva. And then, you know, eight, 10 years out after they've dated, in many instances, hundreds of girls, hundreds of women, their perspective of why they're ma ma getting married is sort of just obfused by the fact that they are just focusing on dating to the point where um, a, a guy that I knew in Barcelona, he married the married this woman but when he went on a date i actually had called him and i had an idea for him and he's like well i'm, I'm going out with this this girl i'll get back to you in two weeks about your idea and i was like wait a second i want you to be all in if you're gonna the moment you're saying yes i want you to be all in flipping this tour and i think the baseline of after you've dated you know 30 40 people is i'm gonna go out it's not gonna work and i'm gonna do that again and recycle and repeat and which creates a couple of things. One is that despair that we, that we mentioned before, but you're also not going in with the right foot. You're, you're looking for reasons why not to work as opposed to thinking about like, why can't this work? You're looking for reasons why she doesn't fit or why he doesn't fit as opposed to figuring out, can I make it work with him or her? Which I think by the way, is the biggest problem that we have uh, of ineffective dating. Um, so maybe I'll just jump into that, which is. I think we lose focus to what marriage is about and why we're getting married. I, I had a conversation with somebody recently and she was, she was mentioning how she's looking for the imperfect person for her. She's aware that there's no perfect person for her. She's looking for the imperfect person for her. And Rabbi Crone said this with you and he said, he said it's a table for two. I didn't see it, but maybe this is the theme of the whole book, which is you're not looking for the right person. You're looking for the person that you can be right for. Who can you become the who the person that you can become perfect for, as opposed to looking for that perfect person for you? Uh -huh. So I, I hear three points so far. Number one is uh, over time we're forgetting that the goal is for marriage, as opposed to just going through dating just because emotions, emotion, and because I've been doing it, so let me just keep on going. But it should be targeted with the goal in mind of marriage. Number two is the lack of optimism, and uh, that leads to the despair, pessimism. And if you're not optimistic going in, the chances of success are dramatically lower. And number three, people go in and it's about me and who's good for me as opposed to my being good for somebody else. And indeed, a Victor Miller, a Victor Miller said that the biggest challenge of marriage is am I the right person for somebody else and not are they the right person for me? That's also important. But right. first, the am I the right person for for other people? So, so th those three, those are the three points so far, right? And I think um, you know, uh, another story. I, there was a girl I met, a woman I met. She's now twenty nine, thirty, and she was telling me how hard life is. And she just wants to get married, and I was like, you know, I really want you to get married as well. But the first thing I need to tell you is, your life is gets much harder when you get married because you have a whole other person that you're responsible for. And it remind, it just put it to my perspective. And this is the, the book, The Table for Two does mention is that marriage is an asylum. It's a huge test for everybody as opposed to being, you know, as Hollywood tries to make it seem a happily ever after. It is the hardest thing that people 
will engage in their life. And I think that because we don't have that in our, in our mindset, when we look at the rear view mirror, we're looking at the wrong things. We're looking at the wrong qualities in the person because we don't know where we're driving towards. Uh, so that'll be point number two, two uh, number four is awareness as to what you're getting into. So even if you're going to be effective and find a person, but yeah. if you don't have the right expectations going in, that's going to lead to divorce on the other side or certainly an unhappy marriage. Yeah. Okay, got it. Yeah. Those are four points so far. Um, what things can we do to date effectively? Yeah, well, Ephraim Goldberg, another podcast, talked about creating like a should conference or summit. And it, and if I you know, had any input there, I think one of the things that I would like to share is I think that people have to know themselves. I think before you even start dating, you have to have some level of self-awareness of your strengths and weaknesses, your needs and wants. What's your ability to give over? You know, do you know your attachment style or your love language or personality types? What, like, if you're going to find the person that you can become perfect for, that you can grow to be, you know, as best as you can for, you need to have an understanding of self because you're going to marry somebody who's not perfect. So you need to understand where the, where the potential problems can arise. Um, so that's one thing. I think there's a huge lack of self-awareness. I think, um, and here's another story. One of the best guys I ever worked with, uh, and he was a total mensch. He dated for eight or nine years, I believe. And every girl who went out with him, everyone who went out with him said, he has great meadows. I'm attracted to him. He's really nice. But they never felt that he was emotionally sensitive or connected to them. He would do thoughtful things, um, but there was never that connection emotionally. So after years of prodding, um, and finally he, dated, he was dating this one woman who really inspired him to go see a coach. Um, and they, I'm going to put a small plug here. There's two organizations I know who are, who are promoting gating coaching. I know the Baltimore Shiddick Center is doing this. And then Adopt a Shotgun, who's run by Lisa Ellison. She's done like a lot of new, innovative things in the dating world. Um, the most recent, which is also my favorite, I told her, is she's helping people get free coaching, uh, which I think is the most important thing for basically anybody who's single has been dating more than five years. Um, but this, you know, in his case was a therapist. Um, helped him develop that emotional sensitivity. He got married three months later because he had all the skills, he had all the qualities he needed. He didn't have the tools and how to actualize them. Um, and you know, it just took a few months of coaching for him to get to the place where he was able to express that to a woman. And that's fascinating. Well, which organization is doing this free coaching? Um, it's called Adopt a Shotgun. I don't know if it lasts forever, uh, but I know that they've raised money to help. You know, they have a whole list. Uh, I don't know how many coaches, but it was a long list. It must have been at least 50. Um, so, you know, they're very well known about the shots and especially in the tri-state area, especially in this demographic. Um, so, you know, they have they have coaches for men, they have coaches for women. Um, I'm hoping everyone starts using it. So we'll see. And and they facilitate the dating process. Yeah. So, I mean, Dr. Shotgun does a lot of things. They do speed dating events, we can have a whole conversation on events. Some are incredibly successful and some really create a lot of use, by the way. Um, but they've also, you know, they had a thing called like, um, uh, what's it called? Wedding reading. So at, like at wedding Hasana, that they would get like the singles together to create like a way for people to meet them. Um, so the newest initiative is this, is, is helping people get coaching. Interesting. And, and when you talk about these events, is that the same demographic, 24 years old and up? Yeah, so there's a lot of events out there. There are like Shabbatonim, there are um, 
there are you know curated speed dating events there's minglings and everything in between and i think some i know a lot of events people have gone to and they leave think giving up all hope on ever finding anyone and feeling super never and then there are other events that people have gone to where even if they don't find someone they have hears and like re they re-energize and reinvigorated that oh you know they, maybe that my, my person's not here but I learned that there are people out there that, you know, that I could date and so forth. Um, so there's a lot of, a lot of different dating events going on. Uh-huh. And, and the demographic again is from, from uh, modern Orthodox all the way to yeshivish and, and yeah. And they go to different events or, or is everyone combining at these events? There's a lot of overlap, surprisingly, especially when it's not curated, there's overlap. So I'll tell you one of the things I like about events. Events get people to be more open-minded. At every shot, I'll tell you this, the number of stories we know of where somebody would date outside of like their culture, let's say, whether it's Israeli or Sephardi for Ashkenazi, that she was taller than he would have dated, or she was older than he would have dated, or they have different family backgrounds, BT or FFB, or he was divorced, or she had kids, or and then them getting married. So the, my favorite thing about our events is it broadens people her, people's horizons when they meet somebody face-to-face, have a nice casual conversation and say, hey, there's something here. The unfortunate part of events, one, we talked about there's too many choices and options, which just creates you know more confusion for people. But also if they're not done well, uh, people leave them thinking, you know, sort of just out of this level, level of like, oh, I went to this event, there was 50 people, they were not none of them fit for me, maybe there's a problem there in, in, in and of itself, but then they they go home a little bit more sad. Yeah, understood, understood. Uh, Micah, somebody comes to you who's been dating a long time, and, and on this we can close, and says, I, I'm I'm giving up a little bit, and, and you want to prop them up and give them some aidsa, some advice on how to approach dating in a positive, effective, and optimistic way. What do you say? Um, first off, wow. Um, the first thing I want to do is to empathize with them and to just feel like they I want them to feel heard and understood and that they have somebody who cares about them. I think that's that's baseline. People give up for a lot of reasons. Um, so understanding why their like what their reason is. I know this is a little bit vague of an answer, but there are so many different reasons why people give up. Um, it could be that they never got suggestions that were good or people got too many suggestions that they burned out. Um, so understanding where their, their pain point is I know so many people that I could refer them to, whether it's a therapist or a coach, or even a shotgun that might know the demographic. So they're shotgun who focus on divorces or women above the age of 28, or you know, sending that person to the right direction. A lot of people, because they don't have a coach or a therapist, or even, um, here's another thing I, I'm a huge proponent of, an advocate. You should, everybody who's dating, especially in the shit system, should have a shotgun who's their advocate, who's looking out for them. Um, so sending them to the right person who's going to be able to say, okay, I know the type of person that you'll need. Um, but sometimes they might need to take a break or sometimes they, you know, they might just need physical or the right suggestion to get them back on their feet. Right. Very wise. Uh, find the right expert, find the person who knows you probably and uh, right. is passionate about you will be your advocate and can walk you through what is a, can be a difficult and challenging process. Totally. And, and advocates, by the way, don't have to know you from your childhood. You can meet a new new person who becomes your advocate, you know, going forward. That, whether that's a rav or a mentor or a coach who's also a shotgun, 
um, plays that dual role of I understand this person and I know what he or she is looking for, and I know you know people of the opposite gender that I can then set them up with. Um, I, I know people give up hope. Uh, I, I want to share a, a statistic because there's a lot of research that are just being published right now. I know I mean to close. Um, there's a lot of research being published right now at the OU. My friend Hanukkah Cohen, my friend's wife Hanukkah Cohen, who's, who's at the OU, who just did research. But there was another study, I think it's by Sokol, and I'm blanking on her name. Um, 90% of, of, of from singles get married, I believe by the age of 30. And then it's like 98% by the age of 40. Uh, that doesn't, you know, so the people talk shut off crisis, you know, they are making the delineation between the crisis of getting married and the crisis of experience. And I think one of the things we're focusing on is how do we create a better experience while you're in that, you know, 10, 15, 20 years of dating, hopefully, obviously shorter. Um, but there's also trying to figure out how do we you know, get people to get married, you know, more effectively and more quickly. But I think just wanted to, to bring that up. I think people are afraid, but you know, there, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Well, to everyone who's working on this, tremendous efforts and tremendous yeshkoaf. And uh, the more we can put into setting people up, the better, the better we should all be keeping our eyes open and looking for product, proper shiduchim because uh, the more we can help, the better it is. Michael, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much.